here's a situation that is growing in popularity, but it may present an unusual challenge. A listener says, my employer will probably fire me if he knows I'm building a side business. So what are the issues here? Is that illegal? No. Is it unethical? No. We'll unpack that a little bit because a whole lot of you are dealing with this potential situation. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, there you go. We're going to be taking care of business. And yeah, whether you need a tune-up or a major overhaul, this is where we spend time every week talking about real-life questions, about the challenges, about the wins, the successes, the obstacles in our work, and more. Hey, we got some great ones today. Somebody says, what should I do while I'm waiting for things to get better? And then the one I addressed in the opening there, my employer will probably fire me if he knows I'm building a side business. Do hobbies count toward the 5% of our income being invested in ourselves? And somebody says, many times your podcast and quotes have inspired me, but I'm unable to take any action due to the fear of moving my feet. All right, great setup for some things we're going to unpack today. Get your pens and pencils out. Got some resources for you here you're going to want to make note of. Quotation comes from Nelson Mandela, who said, I wasn't surviving I was preparing. I'll give you a little more context for that here in a minute. And a resource today, I want you to uh, go back to that resource that I mentioned frequently, the formula that I have for investing in yourself. It seems to come up more and more, and I'm delighted that it is. I think it's a great thing to be thinking about. It's a principle that I believe in absolutely from the top of my head to the tip of my feet, that process of investing 3 to 5% of your income back into your own personal development. So we're going to continue to that. You can find that formula that I've laid out for you very simply. If you go to 48days.com slash invest, you'll see it there. Now, when Nelson Mandela was put in prison in 1962, he was 44 years old, the prison warden sneered. Now, he was certainly well known for his political activism, and they put him in prison. The warden sneered, this is where you will die. And they assigned Nelson Mandela to grueling physical labor, working in a quarry to dig out limestone and then use a heavy hammer to smash the rocks into gravel. That's what he had to do every day. But he decided not to use this as an excuse to abandon his exercise regime. Can you imagine? Grueling physical work all day long, every day, and yet he wanted to maintain his physical wellness. So he'd start at 5 a.m., in that damp six-foot square cell that he had. He began by running in place for 45 minutes, followed by 100 fingertip push-ups, 200 sit-ups, 50 deep knee bends and burpees, you know, where you start standing, move into a squat, kick your feet back, return to squat, then stand up. He'd do that routine Monday through Thursday. Then he'd rest for three days. At age 70, Again, he went into prison at age 44. At age 70, he contracted tuberculosis and was admitted to the prison hospital coughing blood. So he had a lapse in the hospital swimming pool to his daily routine. 
He was released from prison on February 11th, 1990, at the age of 72. And then, of course, as we know, went on to serve as the first president of a democratic South Africa from 1994 to 1999. But he had been in prison for 27 and a half years. I heard Tony Robbins just this morning as I was out walking, talk about a time when he met Nelson Mandela and he asked him, how did you survive all those years in prison? And Nelson Mandela, I mean, almost snapped at him. He said, I wasn't surviving. I was preparing. That's a really different perspective. I wasn't surviving. I was preparing. A few years ago, I saw Ted Turner being interviewed on CNN. The interviewer asked Ted how he kept going when his sailing team lost year after year, and then his baseball team was in last place for four years before then going on to win the World Series. How could he keep going when he seemed to be losing again and again and again? Without any hesitation, Ted said, I wasn't losing. I was learning how to win. I want you to think about, you know, how do you respond when things aren't going as you had planned? What are you doing with time when you're not in as much control? I mean, if you're stuck in traffic, have a delayed flight, find yourself in the middle of a global pandemic, or if you're in prison. Now, Robert Greene, who's author of 48 Laws of Power, says there are two types of time in our lives, dead time when we're passive and waiting, and alive time when we're learning and preparing for the future we want. Now, that's a very different approach to looking at the situation. If you're in a situation you can't control, will you look back and see that as a time, just a total waste where you're waiting? Or was that a time of learning and preparing? Well, you know, my expectation, my encouragement, see it as a time of learning, preparing. I've had two lengthy stints in my life where circumstances were not what I wanted. But I was committed to not make those just dead times in my life where nothing was happening, but to learn, to dig deeply into what are the lessons, what does this make possible. And now that I'm on the other side of those, I'm more prepared for, I'm sure there'll be more obstacles, but I feel more prepared for those because of my past experience at making those times of learning and preparing. There's a piece I ran across, it has to do with a writer, and it's just pretty mind-blowing. A lot of you are writers or want to be writers. A lot of you have books out there, and you're looking for creative ways to get those out there and market them. There's a Kickstarter program that just finished. You know, Kickstarters where you can put up your business idea and get people to put in money that usually funds the development. If you're building a game, as an example, people essentially put in money that help you then develop and get the game manufactured, and then you send them a copy. So Kickstarter. Kickstarter campaign just finished. The guy writes fantasy novels, and it just ended at $41.7 million from 185,000 backers. Now, this is a guy that, I mean, I don't even know this guy. His name is Brandon Sanderson. And he writes these novels. So during the pandemic here, he's written four novels. So he put them out. He's got a cute video that he kind of talks about all the time that he had on his hands. And so he just continued writing. He stacks manuscript on manuscript. And so you pay for these. You buy them in advance. And you can pay 
360, just multiples, depending on what you want. If you want them in a digital form, if you want the physical copies, if you want audio or all of the above. So people were essentially pre-ordering his books. Now, the books aren't even going to go out. They're not going to start going out until January of 2023, almost a year ahead of time. And then you'll get one book each quarter. But he raised $41.7 million dollars in advance, just by putting it up on Kickstarter. Now, that ought to be inspiring for a lot of you. I mean, the previous record on Kickstarter was $20.3 million for a smart watch. That was back in 2015. So this blows all those records out of, out of, just out of the water totally. So Brandon writes these books about a, an alternate universe, a universe he calls the Cosmere. But again, just... Fiction writing, I mean, this makes my mouth drop open as an author, as a writer. I mean, that's phenomenal. I'm not attracted to fantasy novels at all. I mean, it's not the kind of thing I would pay $2 for. But again, I'm not his reader, obviously. But it inspires me as an author thinking, wow, what could I have done? Now, I did do this. I did a Kickstarter campaign when we released Wisdom Meets Passion. And what I did there was had the book, packages of the book. It came with a um, Ubuntu medallion that my son created who co-authored the book with me. We had some other bonuses, some other audio bonuses, not the book itself, but just additional audio bonuses. And I even had a package in there. It was like $880 where you, you would get to come to the sanctuary, our place in Franklin, Tennessee, spend a night, go to dinner with Joanne and me, and then spend a morning talking about you know what your goals are. And I had that bet filled up Pronto. So it was it was successful. We didn't raise $41 million, believe me. But it was very successful because I made it interesting in adding things to the book. Just inspiration for those of you who may be interested in writing, getting your writing out there. Now, speaking of writing, here's a, a listener who has a, a writing, writing that he's expanding on and building as well. Uh, Joel says, I've spent the last several months listening to several passive income podcasts, reading as many books as I can find on the various side hustles that are out there obviously including your latest version of 48 Days to the Work You Love. I've not pulled the trigger on anything yet, and the only real reason holding me back is fear. Just as I was getting ready to pull the trigger and actually put some of the information that I've consumed to good use, I found out that my employer fired another employee when he found out that he was applying for an SBA loan with his uncle. I didn't get the specifics from my boss when he told me because I was in such shock but even though I, I want to make something for myself on the side and hope of turning it into a full-time and rewarding career, I can't do so and risk my current six-figure job. Should I be open with my boss about what I'm considering starting and make sure he knows that it will not interfere with my current job or try to grow it in the background and hope that it works out under the radar? I'm currently a finance manager at a franchise dealership, but I'm planning to build a blog, grow that into an online course, and then eventually a coaching practice. There's no conflict of interest between those two positions other than the time it would take away from my job if I worked during the day at the dealership. I remember this coming up in one of your previous episodes a long time ago, but I couldn't find it when I looked. Honestly, didn't pay that much attention to it because I didn't think it would ever apply to my situation. Apparently, I did not understand the people I'm working for, which makes me want to change even more. Thanks for everything you do for so many people. Well, I went and looked at your site, 
that you're working on, Joel. I really like it. I, I like it. I think you could re- rethink perhaps what you're calling it. You got pretty generic title that you've got there. And I think maybe you could give it a, a snappier title to set you apart to make it more distinctive and then build into the concepts. You know, you don't want to be just one more people teaching about how to get ahead, how to, you know, follow their goals and do better. I love some of your little graphics you got and all that, but I think you can jazz it up a little bit. Now, as to your question, no, do not tell your boss. Now, there's a lot of bosses out there who may be understanding of what you're describing because it makes perfect sense. There's nothing wrong with it at all from either side. But with the previous experience you've seen with your boss's reaction, Heavens no, don't tell them, don't tell them, but just continue doing what you're doing. Just continue building it on the side. We talk a lot here about building a business with only 15 hours a week, and certainly with, with writing, creating content, you can do that. Some real well-known authors out there like Elizabeth Gilbert, she kept her job even after Eat, Pray, Love was released and just was a stunning success. She kept her job. For a couple of years after that, James Patterson, I mean, you know how many books James Patterson has turned out? I mean, I mean, tons of them. And now he, of course, co-writes kind of, I mean, he has other people just write books and he puts his name on them because he knows his name on the cover will sell millions of copies. But he's, he was an advertising executive, but he'd come into the office at 5.30 in the morning, lock the door and write his novels. And then he'd start his work day at eight o'clock. That's what he did. I mean, T.S. Eliot was a British publisher, playwright, literary, social critic. I mean, one of the major, major uh, poets. He, well, he won the Nobel Prize in Literature and the Order of Merit in 1948. As a young, ambitious writer in his 20s, he wrote essays and reviews, delivered a lecture series. It was a pretty busy workload. It left him little time for his real passion of writing poetry. And he really wasn't making enough money to even survive. So at age 29, even though he's been writing for quite some time, at age 29, he got a real job. He took a job at Lloyd's Bank in London, where he worked for the next eight years. Two days after that, he's he, job started. He wrote his mother. He says, I'm now earning two pounds, 10 shillings a week for sitting in an office from nine fifteen to five with an hour for lunch. Tea served in the office. So the pressure to pay rent and buy groceries was gone. He used his lunch hour to discuss literary projects with friends. And then in the evening, he had a leisure time to work on his poetry and his fame started to grow. So did he then leave? For the freedom of being an entrepreneur and a successful writer with no restraints on his time? No. After eight years at Lloyd's Bank, he accepted an editorial position at the publishing firm, Faber & Geyer, where he stayed for the rest of his career. And Anthony Trollope was another famous writer. He wrote 3,000 words every morning before going off to his job at the Postal Service a job he kept for 33 years during the writing of more than two dozen books. Now I could go on and on. I just kind of went off on that. But I want you to focus on the idea that you can spend 15 hours a week and build a legitimate business. So with that, you know, I recommend that you spend you know, maybe three hours reading, studying, gathering new knowledge, five hours creating the content that you're putting out there, working on what you're going to be offering to your customers. Allow some time, four hours typically, of working directly with your customers. You may not need that much since you're doing an online presence, a website that people can 
sign up for and just get the content there. So it may not take that much, but then three hours uh, of that 15 goes to marketing your efforts to build your brand and reputation. Three hours. You got to spend that on that. You see, you can't just create content and think it's going to go. You got to be really intentional about promoting it and getting it out there. So we're back to, you can give your employer 40 hours of competent, reliable work. That's what's expected. That's what's required. Give them competent, reliable work. That leaves you 128 hours a week to build the life you want. Again, that's so common today. There's millions of people that are doing what you're doing. It's certainly ethical. There's nothing wrong with it at all. But in your case, don't tell your boss. Just keep your lips sealed. Do it on the side. And then when you get to that point that I often talk about where you're generating 50% of the income you're getting now, then you know, maybe if you switch more time to what you're doing that you really love doing, you could close the gap on that income. You may always want to keep it as something you do on the side. With what you're describing, it doesn't really require a lot of individual time that you would need to spend you know, with your customers. You could grow that. You can do you know, what I do. You know, writing books, coaching, speaking once in a while, the things that I do, you know, putting together an online community, a mastermind. I mean, you could, I, I could have a job if I, I mean, Lord help me. I am not looking for a job, but you know, I, I could have a job and continue doing what I do. So yeah, just uh, grow your business. Give us an update in a couple of months about how that's growing and don't tell your boss. All right. Just a reminder, hey, these are real-life questions coming from you, the listeners. Success stories, resources you want to share with others, or a question like Joel just asked here. Just shoot those. If you go to 48days.com slash askdan, fill out the form there. Those come directly to me. I see every one of those. 48days.com slash askdan. You know, last week I titled the podcast, No, I won't coach you for free, and here's why. And I spoke to a question from Mark about, do I ever do free or discounted coaching sessions? And I went through the process that uh, wasn't that I need the money, but it's you need the investment. I had a lot of response to that. A lot of you responded to that. You know, thanks for your comments on that. But I got a note back from Mark, the gentleman who actually asked the question. A lengthy, um, lengthy note just thanking me profusely for answering his questions, for the advice that I gave, and he has taken action pronto. I mean, that was just last week, and he's taken massive action in terms of the books that he's gotten, and he's he's got a group that he's thinking about joining that would help him in this process. So he's not looking for, he wasn't offended at all that I said, hey, you need the investment. He took me seriously. He's doing exactly that, and I appreciate the feedback from Mark. And again, the, the, um, Feedback I got from a lot of the rest of you on that as well. One of the things that he mentioned is that he purchased the book because he hears me talk about it, The Magic of Thinking Big. Now, last week in our Eagles community, we discussed The Magic of Thinking Big. I had several people who are Eagles members come on with me. We had a little panel. They shared their stories about how it impacted their lives, helped them move forward. Just that idea of thinking big, the old classic little book by David Schwartz. Well, we had one Eagles member cancel. He canceled. Well, when they somebody cancels, you know, we have a little questionnaire. We ask them, you know, gee, why'd you do that? 
He, he sent a lot of information back, and I really appreciate his openness, his vulnerability. But he canceled, and he said the reason he canceled was because of that book study, The Magic of Thinking Big. Here's what he says. It revealed to me a mindset that's dangerous and that I want no part of. And he described then a situation where being optimistic, he thinks put him in a vulnerable position where he could have been taken advantage of. And he says, it was at that that moment, I realized how dangerous this positive thinking mindset is. Now, I'm I'm intrigued. I'm, I'm really intrigued by his response. But I want to think about that. I'm going to come back next week and talk about that. Is it dangerous to have a positive mindset? Does it open us up? Does it open us up to disappointment or to being taken advantage of? Is it better to just be content with mediocrity? Wow. Hey, we'll spend some time on that next week. How dangerous this positive thinking mindset is. Well, let me go on here. Greg says, Dan, I listened to and enjoyed your April 1st podcast. No, I won't coach you for free. Regarding the 3 to 5% investment in yourself, would investing in hobbies, new and existing, new health classes and the like fit your criteria for investing in your growth? I agree with taking a percentage of your income and investing back into yourself to continue growing and developing. I think that sometimes that investment could also take the form of continuing to grow and develop new interests, hobbies, ways of taking better care of ourselves. However, this kind of investment should not take the place of coaching, reading, adding, adding conferences, etc. What are your thoughts on investing in these other areas? Do they meet with the intention of your statement or are they just add-ons that help make life enjoyable? Well, I love your question and, and I, I love the, the challenge to clarify more what that investment could look like. I think it's a really legitimate question, Greg, and makes me think about it and the fact that I need to clarify even for myself uh, what that looks like. Now, a little, I think we're splitting hairs a little bit here, but yes, I certainly would agree that some things that may just look like hobbies to other people would be legitimate self-improvement investments. And I just started working with a personal trainer here where we live. Now, is that an investment in improving myself? Is I mean, there's some things I want to accomplish. There's things I want to address really optimal health. There's some other things I'm working on as well, but I'm working with this trainer to help me with an exercise routine and then also with nutrition. I don't have major obstacles to overcome in either of those, but I want to really maximize. There's some things that I'm working toward where we're going to make so personal trainer. Yeah, I think it's legitimate. I mean, I have a Spanish tutor. Is that a personal interest? Yeah, but it's also to communicate better with more people in my community. Now, as you know, I love books and not all the books I purchase are just for personal growth. I mean, certainly some are just for pure enjoyment or because it's an old original edition. So I'll justify spending money. You know, part of that 5% investment back into myself, buying a rare book. I mean, Michael Hyatt, we just spent a couple of days with our friends, Michael and Gail Hyatt up in Tennessee. He plays the Indian flute, spends a lot of time, has a broad collection of different kinds of those, you know, as part of his investment and things that are, that are different, that take him out of just what the normal workday would be. Uh, Mark Ross, one of our 48 Days coaches, he has some really unusual skateboards. Now think about what that does. I mean, that helps him maintain really good balance. And it's a diversion from brain work. 
So yeah, I don't, it doesn't have to be just books, courses, seminars, or coaching. You know, this, this week, Joanne and I are going over to Palm Beach, Florida to spend two days at the Barrett Jackson auto auction. Now that's the auction you see on TV late night. And they have these beautiful, beautiful cars coming across the block, you know, old muscle cars that have been um, revived or Corvettes, Mustang Cobras, and all kinds of things that come across there. Well, it's been on my bucket list for years. The auctions are held in Scottsdale, Arizona, and Palm Beach. Well, now we're pretty close. We're going to pop over there, spend two days doing that. Now, that's pure enjoyment, but I need that investment in order to get me out of the house, to shift my brain into another area. So, yeah, even that I'd consider a good investment. Great question, Greg. Thanks for thanks for bringing it up. And as I write the content that will be in the book that I'm working on, on investing in yourself, that process, yeah, I need to drill down in that area and have some suggestions at least for what that investment in yourself might look like. Because it doesn't have to be just, you know, books, conferences, courses, that kind of thing. Uh, Joseph asks, he says, my name is Joseph, originally from India and currently working as a project manager in the Middle East. He's actually in Oman. I came as a fresh graduate site engineer in 2008 and worked for the same company now for the past 13 years. I've been promoted three times in this course. My wife is also working here. Many times your podcast and quotes have inspired me, but I'm unable to take any action due to the fear of moving my feet. God, I love that sentence. So descriptive, so visual. I'm unable to take any action due to the fear of moving my feet. Since it's now been 13 years in the same company, slowly the work is getting boring. I'm thinking about moving back to India with jobs and some good companies or starting some businesses of my own, but I'm unable to decide. I'm one of your listeners for the past year, and I really appreciate your efforts in raising people's mindsets. People advise, please, please advise how I can move away from my current situation and prosper in mind and money. Wow. So eloquently phrased there, Joseph. Thanks for your question. I appreciate you sharing that and understand what your situation is, where you're valued in the job you're doing, probably paid extremely well, but being bored, realizing this isn't really my dream. You know, when I, when I think back to how the 48 days content was developed, it was because of teaching that little Sunday school class. And there were, we were going to talk about career transitions, how to navigate them, how to go through those. And a lot of them show up unwelcome and unexpected. So I thought that I'd have, you know, the kid who was trying to decide what to major in in college or the 23 year old who discovered, wow, it wasn't just a, you know, nice house with a white picket fence. It wasn't that easy out here in the real world. And maybe they ought to do something else in terms of a career direction. But what really surprised me were the people exactly like you describe yourself, Joseph, people who were employed, being paid very well, valued where they were, but they had this sense, this what we call existential angst, that this isn't really it. This is not my sweet spot. This is not my dream. There's got to be more than this, even though people on the outside may see you as very successful. Well, it reminds me of Frederick Douglass, the quotation that I often use from him, where he said, I prayed for 20 years, but received no answer until I prayed with my legs. 
Yeah, sometimes it comes down to that. We got to start walking. You got to get those feet moving. But here's how you do it. You don't just quit and hope that something works out. You don't just go back to India and hope that somehow things will be better there. No, don't do that. This is very much an introspective internal planning process. Asking that question that you hear me frame on here a lot that I use so effectively with people that I coach. And it's this. If we were meeting three years from today, what has to have happened during that three-year period for you to feel happy about your progress? Start with that. Just That doesn't require burning any bridges, doesn't require moving, doesn't even require walking at this point. But if we were meeting three years from today, what has to have happened during that three-year period for you to feel happy about your progress? Now, I've been talking about We've got these coming up food for thought luncheons. The next five months, I've got a Friday and each of those identified where I'm going to be doing a lunch for 12 people. People put in applications and I'm not promoting it because they're all full, but um, where I'll be meeting with 12 people, I pay for lunch. There's no cost. There's no sales presentation. It's just a time to get together. I know that I learn from those kind of engagements with people. We're not having live events right now, and I miss that kind of interaction. So this is going to be small and intimate, but the question that will be asked of each of those five people during our two to three hour lunchtime together is that if we were meeting three years from today, what has to have happened during that three-year period for you to feel happy about your progress? So that's the question I'm asking you, Joseph, is exactly that. Start with that. Have fun with that. Sit down with your wife. You know, she works the same place you do. You know, plan. What would you like your life to look like three years out? If that does indicate something quite different than what you're doing now, then it makes decisions that you do today become much easier, much more tangible. So it doesn't feel like you're just walking blindly. No, you are now making decisions that are deposits in exactly where you want to be three years from now. Hey, great question. My goodness, great question. Well, hey, let me just do a summary here. We'll kind of wrap up for today. Summary, if I had to put this kind of in bullet points here, it'd be number one, don't just wait for things to get better. Spend that time preparing for the opportunities that are coming. Always be preparing, learning, like the people we quoted. Number two, give your employer 40 hours of competent, reliable work. Use the other 128 hours a week to build the life you want. Number three, invest in yourself in ways that bring you variety and enjoyment, as well as ways to be productive. Number four, decide what you want your life to be three years from now, then make decisions today that take you in that direction. Now remember next week, be sure to jump back on here. We're going to be talking about this dangerous positive thinking thing, how it sets us up for disappointment and failure. You think? Well, we're probably not going to go in that direction. We're going to have fun with that unpacking that this gentleman put a whole lot in there about his rationale for why this positive thinking, the magic of thinking big, thinking real rich and all those are dangerous mindset. He wants to stay as far away from those as possible. I know you're not like that. I'm sure you're intrigued. So I'll think through that. If you got some ideas on that, you can shoot them into me. Again, just go to 48days.com slash Ask Dan, and if I use your comment or question in here, of course, you always get an autographed copy of the latest version of 48 Days to the Work You Love. So thanks for listening. Thanks for sending in your questions. 
for being open to growing and being a powerful force for making the world, for being open to that positive thinking stuff we talk about here, making the world a better place for believing without a shadow of a doubt that we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable.